Hello and welcome to Golden Grenades, or should I say welcome to this little bonus episode of Golden Grenades. I'm here today with Lev Perikian, your friend and mine, Lev, who is a writer and orchestral conductor and part-time dictionary botherer. We'll come to that in a moment. Many of you will know Lev from Twitter and his birdsong project on there, but Lev is also a very successful author, having written Into the Tangled Bank, which was long listed for the Wainwright Prize, Light Rains Sometimes Fall, Why Do Birds Suddenly Disappear? And he has a new book out, which is why he's here to talk to me today. Hello, Lev. Hey, Kit. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm just in from a trip to the beach with the kids, which was very nice. We've been playing round us in the sunshine. It was lovely. How are you? I'm very well as well, thanks. Just in from a trip to the garden, watching the cricket and reading a very excellent book. So, yeah, it's been a good bank holiday. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on to natter on about my latest book and other things. Um, <laughs> <But> <laughs> I'm sure you're going hit, you're, you're to hit me with the other things. Well, I am. Yeah, we'll come to the book in a moment, which is obviously why we're here. But I must ask you about your world, your Twitter World Cup of Random English Words which was an absolute delight. I don't dip into Twitter an awful lot these days, but when I do, or, or back then before it ended, there was always a, a Lev World Cup round of rant. And I mean, that must have taken you months and loads of work, but it was really fun. Like all these random words that were um, being pitted against each other. Uh, I, I was obviously in the huff because Piglet did not win and everybody knows that it's the best English word. But Higgledy Piggledy made the made the quarterfinals, I believe, or the semifinals even. The, the semifinals, yeah. Oh, there, so um, it was a it, it was one of those things, just in case your uh, your many listeners are not au fait with the concept, it was one of those weird, stupid things um that just came to me as a joke. because uh, you know sometimes people do really long threads on Twitter. Uh-huh. You know, oh, listen up, folks, I'm going to go a deep dive on this, buckle in, and then a thread symbol and one out of 426 or whatever it is. And you, oh, your heart sinks. And there's also this phenomenon that I think Richard Osman has done uh, quite a few and other people of, of World Cups of things. So, you know, competi- you know, vote between four different things and then through to the next round. So I just did literally as a stupid joke one, I think it was a Saturday morning, World Cup of Random English Words, round one, group one of 1,024. And then four words that occurred to me, and I can't... What, plinth was one of them. So, and people started voting, you know, <laughs> hundreds of people going, oh, I think plinth is good, or this other word. And then, I, I, so I shall I do another one? You know, let's, do, let's, let's just see how many legs. So I kept on doing them, and after about 50... 50 groups i thought okay i either stop and let this just ride off quietly into the shadows or i continue and see it through you know so round one is 1024 uh, groups and then say we have the winners go through to the second round and that'd be done and so on and so i did <laughs> continue um i think some people really kind of hated it <laughs> um, others, others really loved it, and then by the, by the final, which was over a year on, about thirteen months later, it that coincided with a sort of New Year silly season where there was nothing on the news. So I ended up being in the Times Diary and being interviewed about it for World Service and ridiculous things like that. Like, so the moral of the story is: if you have a stupid idea really commit to it and see it through <laughs> to the end and you might get a bit of traction somewhere 
<laughs> you fell into that trap of saying something out loud on Twitter and then uh, finding out that you have to see it through. Yeah, I, I've yeah, done yeah. that several times myself. That's it was brilliant. the same with the, um, the a few years ago. I did, uh, you know, that thing also on Twitter of one like equals one thing. So, you, you know, the number of likes this tweet gets, I will provide one stupid thing, whatever it is. So I did one like equals one imaginary bird. And of course, people just, you know, uh, the, about, about 1500 likes later, I was on bended knee. <laughs> having to think up these imaginary bird names. But I do kind of have a, a, a sort of dogged quality, I suppose, that goes, no, I've, I've started this, so I've got, I've got to commit to it. <laughs> bended knee pivot. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, did have a, I did have a little look. I think Shenanigans did quite well. Codswallop? Yeah, Shenanigans won Codswallop. Higgledy Piggledy and Bollocks was the. <laughs> oh, God, am I allowed to say Bollocks on the. Oh, I'll say it again. <laughs> oh, no, I said Bollocks. It, bollocks got knocked out in the semi finals. And there were people absolutely up in arms, not least one of a, a former guest of yours, Sam West, who was furious, furious that um, Bollocks didn't win. Oh, really? <laughs> so, um, but I, but uh, I also made T-shirts and and hoodies and things, obviously because you know you got to merch it. You, so um, if anybody That's... wants a bollocks T-shirt, then feel free to go to my website, and there you'll find them in all their glory. <laughs> if you've dedicated thirteen months to nonsense, then you've got to get something out of it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Come on, then. Let's chat about your. Oh, before we do chat about the book, you're a big Swift fan. I am. My Swifts are, are very, very few this year, and I'm hearing that from a lot of people on Twitter as well about their Swifts. How are yours doing? They're okay. So, yes, it's been a nervous time. There's always the nervous time, like the three weeks before they arrive, and are they going to come? And then they, I was usually, in fact, pretty much every year they arrive between the 5th and the 7th of May. Two years ago, there was, I saw my first one uh, during a hailstorm, would you believe? Oh. Up, it was like it was an extraordinary, like a mirage thing. It was one of those late April or early May uh, bits of nonsense weather. And I was looking out the window, uh, just thinking, God, this is, you know, this is a, one of those five, 10 minute hailstorms. And I saw Swift coming swooping down through in between the hailstones. <laughs> I could not believe it. And it was obviously doing the thing where it was, it was the one in the vanguard uh, reporting back. And I could yeah. imagine it going, Going back to its mates and going, guys, guys, no, let's let's just stop here in France because honestly, it's not worth it. But so that was two years ago. This year, so we usually have three pairs, pretty regular every year, and they always breed every year. And so the numbers towards the late summer kind of get up to um, about twenty to thirty in the, the groups with the other ones in the area, joining them in these fantastic displays kind of mid to late July before they leave. And uh, I was worried, but they uh, arrived on schedule and had been doing some high to medium flying around, not very many screen pass, and that was a bit concerning. Um, but just a couple of evenings ago, we had um, the first one went up into the eaves uh, at about 7 o'clock. And then within 45 minutes, the other two nests uh, were occupied as well. And those fantastic sound of, of them as the ones that are still flying fly past, they do a squee. And then you just hear the answering squee from the from underneath the eaves. It's just wonderful. Oh, so uh, that's that's my evening sorted for the next few weeks, I think. Oh, fantastic. No, I'm 
I'm glad. I was I was a bit worried. And... Yeah, it's interesting. We do. I checked on the BTO website, you know, on the bird track thing, and uh, it looks like well, swallow and swift sightings are, are sort of generally down against the historical things, which has been that way for a few years now. Yeah, yeah. Um, house martins were absolutely on track for normal numbers, and then hit a glitch at some point in the last three weeks or so. Uh... Um, but sand martins, amazingly, are up this year compared to. Ah, uh, good. Yeah, but maybe it's because they got here. Of course, they get here first, don't they? So maybe it was that that everything was kind of normal for when they arrived, and they yeah. uh, and they've got themselves established. So who knows? Yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe they've had all the insects, and that's the problem. They got here first, decimated the buffet. <laughs> uh, it's all very mysterious. Anyway, <laughs> oh, it's extraordinary to think about those those journeys. Yeah, absolutely. So talking of swifts, we're onto birds, obviously. Yeah. Um, Tell us about your new book, Taking Flight. So, yes, the idea for the book really came from thinking about what it was that I love about birds, and if there was anything specific. And really, the answer was staring me in the face, and it's uh, the fact that they can fly, which I think is one of those things that we can take for granted quite easily. We maybe don't think about even birds, I think, maybe don't think about it as much as they might they might be uh, attracted to a bird and uh, you know, look at its plumage or the way it behaves and obviously there are some things that are fairly obvious that are spectacular flight like swifts for example that we just talked about or you know migrating geese but i think i realized how little i knew about it and how much i wanted to know about it so i kind of went on this journey of exploration thinking about um not just birds but all the other things that fly or have flown um when they started doing it how they do it why they do it and so on and kept on asking myself questions looking up the answers and each answer threw up a new question so i found the answer to that and um now here we are i've written a, another book somebody should really kind of uh, stage some sort of intervention on this whole book writing malarkey i think <laughs> no it's uh it's a brilliant read i'm only halfway through it i have to admit but i'm thoroughly enjoying it i like the way you've started with man's failed attempt to to fly and you know the the history of that which is uh, entertaining in itself and then i mean you know you you're ticking all my boxes you're talking about bugs you're talking about dinosaurs and then you get onto the good stuff exactly you're you're about to get the good stuff because i mean let, let's face it we all know that birds are best so you know those <laughs> chapters the second half of the book are the ones that i found there was no sort of most fun about it because it was all quite miserable in some ways because I, <laughs> I was very much wondering what the hell i was doing writing about something that was so way above my pay grade in terms of things like the aerodynamics and the evolutionary history of it all but it was a fascinating journey doing it and the, the way it's organized is I've i chose 14 uh, species basically to around which to frame the story of flight from the very beginning 320 something million years ago when uh, the first fossil we have of an insect that we know flew that has wings preserved there in the rock uh, right up to the the most recent animals to take flight which were bats 50 60 million years ago <laughs> and one of the things i found difficult to get my head around was those extraordinary expanses of time that paleontologists and geologists just throw aside like oh you know it was only 150 million years ago not that long ago really so learning about that was uh, fascinating and in the end served as a way to frame the story of the book which was pr the progression which things did it first how they developed it and and, and then how it came to be such a, a common thing 
one of the things we don't maybe realize is that as non-flyers, humans are very, very much in the minority. So most of the things that fly are insects. They're the ones that uh, radiated and diversified. The, the evolution of flight really helped them enormously to, to dominate the world. And then you've got the pterosaurs, which are the, the real find for me uh, of, of this uh, whole escapade. Learning about them was, um, was quite something. And I really, uh, I would kill I wouldn't actually necessarily kill, but I would pay a certain amount of money to be able to see a pterosaur in flight. The ones that um, capture the imagination are the, the things like Quetzalcoatlus, which uh, was supposedly the largest uh, animal ever to fly with uh, a wingspan of up to 11 metres, which is just, you know, when you think that the wandering albatross is the biggest, uh, the, the largest wingspan of of a, an extant bird and that's something like three and a half meters you've got a wingspan that's three times that and you just to just to imagine one of those flying over your high street would be fantastic wouldn't it that would be madness yeah you can't imagine something being able to something that size actually being able to fly but they did it's it's brilliant and i have to say when i'm reading the book it doesn't read like somebody who's just learning this for the first time it really reads like i'm you know learning loads of facts but you know that you knew this stuff and you know it's obviously got your trademark humor in it i loved um you called a penguin a piebald blubber tube which <laughs> is i'm really I'm, you know how sometimes you, you the writers aren't supposed to laugh out loud at their own stuff but that was one of those moments i thought oh, that's a, that's actually a good one um so yeah i quite i quite like that um, yeah. I yeah, you, you, people might be thinking, but hold on, penguins, they can't fly. Why are we talking about penguins? I did think that um, it was quite important uh, to to contemplate that idea, which is that you know, flight is uh, very difficult. It's a hard thing to do. And evolving it is a very difficult thing to do. And you have to have a good reason to do it. And most of the things that have done it have done it because... Um, it's useful to escape predators. It's useful to um, get yourself to other parts of the world if the things go tits up in where you are, where you're living. Uh, it uh, diversifies the gene pool if you can go further away so that you're not all uh, bundled in together and breeding with each other. All sorts of good reasons to, to develop flight. Um, but having done it, for them to, to lose the ability... Uh, is a fascinating thing for me and what, what the as i say fewer than a hundred species of bird of, of uh, are flightless these days um but the striking thing about them is that they're all quite uh quite sexy or quite <laughs> glamorous in term, in bird terms you know so you think about the ostriches and emus and kiwis and they, you know we remember them you don't remember all the the millions of warblers and flycatchers and stuff like that because they're all kind of you know much for muchness. But you really know what you know. You know what an ostrich looks like. You know what a kiwi looks like. Um, kiwi looks like, and you definitely know what a penguin looks like. So I thought I'd just explore that um, a, a little bit. Well, you you say sexy, but somebody else, possibly somebody like me, might say stupid looking, you know? ridiculous. 
yeah. they are basically ridiculous. But I suppose I meant sexy in the in the to the general public in that in that they yeah. are very well known and they are you know show somebody a penguin and they immediately go oh they're so sweet yeah. you know. But there's also something about them that uh, what you've said that you know they don't look like birds. I was also fascinated by some of the things that are taking what it is to be a bird to its absolute limit. For example, the albatross that I mentioned, you know, that the, these extraordinary transoceanic journeys that they make and their ability to fly thousands of miles, barely twitching a wing, you know, just soaring and using the conditions about just, you know, that boundary layer above the waves to enable them to cover vast and distances with the minimum of effort and then at the other end of the spectrum you've got hummingbirds and who doesn't love a hummingbird idiots uh, yeah exactly idiots don't love hummingbirds they're sexy they're glamorous mm -hmm. and they they're not they're not like any other birds because they have unique anatomies you know their shoulder joint being a ball and socket which enables them to do that flat figure of eight wing beat that enables them to produce lift on the upstroke as well as the downstroke so that they can hover, so that they can stay right in front of that flower, they can get their strangely shaped beaks into the flower and get the nectar out. And meanwhile, they're doing the flower a service by uh, getting the pollen on their foreheads and then transferring it onto the next one. Um, they're just they're just fantastic. One of the things I particularly enjoyed looking into was the relationship between hummingbirds and swifts. Obviously, swifts had traditionally been lumped in with the hirundines so they look superficially like swallows and martins and so they'd been kind of lumped in with them as almost part of the same family but actually their closest relatives are hummingbirds so looking into their common ancestor and what that might have been able to do and um, and how that developed was a really interesting part of the whole exercise because they used to be you know one of the um, hummingbird ancestors uh, fossils was found in Europe and I can't help being frankly a little bit resentful that the hummingbirds didn't stick around in what's wrong with Europe just rude isn't it I mean I, yeah I'd, you're probably like me and sometimes in a free moment spend time on these webcams of you mm. know hotter climbs in America and they've just got like once you get sucked into hummingbird web webcams it's a it's a slippery slope to Getting nothing done. <laughs> I got I got sucked into one this year. Um, there was a pair of Anna's. Um, there was a uh, Anna's hummingbird breeding in California, and they had a webcam on the nest. And the the tricks had just hatched when I started logging on. So I watched that pretty much constantly from from hatching to fledging. Um, <laughs> and have you amazed to see the violence when the 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 mother came back and started feeding them? The violence that she does it with. Absolutely shoving her bill right down their throats and giving them a good old shake to get that food like, down their gullets. Like sword swallowing. <laughs> it was extraordinary. <laughs> so many great things in, in this book. We've highlighted a few of them there. It is out now, published by Elliot and Thompson, and it's available from all your usual good bookshops online or your little local independent bookshop, even better. Definitely go to the local independence if you can. <laughs> it costs an extra couple of quid sometimes, but they disappear if we don't buy books from them. So yeah. um, I'm a big advocate for that. Absolutely. We'd miss them if they were gone. So if bugs and dinosaurs and our avian overlords are your thing, and I'm presuming at least one of those is because you're listening to this podcast, then <laughs> go and buy Taking Flight 
by Lev Perigian, and I'm sure you won't be disappointed. Um, so Lev, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, what have you got planned next? Oh, I don't know. People keep asking this, and uh, at the moment, I've got a few ideas um, swimming around in my head, but none of them has quite turned into the one that goes me, me, write me, do me next. So um, just taking a little bit of time to to, to find my bearings on this one, and um, but I'm sure I'll, I'll let you know the moment I do. <laughs> I usually do. And uh, you'll be entertaining us on Twitter in the meantime, no doubt, as well. Well, Lev... Once again, thank you so much for coming on. I'll catch up with you soon. Take care. Always great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on, Kim.